You're listening to The One Room with a View Show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View Show with myself, Christopher Preston and billionaire BDSM enthusiast, Mr. Dan Orton. (laughs) How are you doing? You've had that one... Saved up, haven't you? All month, All month. Dan. As soon as we said we were going to do Fifty Shades of Grey, which yes. I've kind of given a little teaser, so what else is coming, Dan? Right, okay, so up on the show today, some film old, some film new. We are looking at uh, Secretary from 2002. All the way back. And comparing that with this month's, this so far this year's biggest film release, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Um, and then we're also we're bringing back the, the long-missed, long-awaited return of We Can't Understand You, but it looks bloody good, uh, and I'm going to be reviewing Trash. Yeah, and I've seen that um, your review has gone down well at One Room with a View. I'm looking forward to exploring that. Yes, I'm uh, really, I really enjoyed detail. this film, so I can't wait to talk about it later on in the show. You have seen the interview. Oh, yeah, I don't know if we need to whisper this down or Morse code it over the podcast, but yeah, the, the highly controversial, explosive, potentially world-ending film that is yes. Seth Rogen's and Evan Goldberg's. If the North interview. Korea are listening, that's Chris has seen this film. <laughs> He's the short one. <laughs> the short one with the amazing jingles. <laughs> He's the man you want. So we've got a big show, Dan. Do you think we should crack on? Let's go. Some film old, some film new. Mm, I want to congratulate you earlier for not making any kind of whip joke about cracking on with the show. Oh, God, can we go back? <laughs> we have to go back. We have to go back. So, Fifty Shades of Grey, Secretary Dan. Yes. It's February. Happy Valentine's Day, by the Thank way. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Thank Here you. Here we are in my living room recording a podcast. <laughs> Glasses about, of wine. About the two most prominent BDSM films in the last decade. Yeah, and they are. They really are. Fifty Shades of Grey, this kind of zeitgeist swallowing franchise, really. I mean, it's, it's everywhere, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, and of course it is a trilogy. And I only found this out. And I tell you, it's funny, actually. I went to... We didn't see the film together when we saw it. Um, I went with a friend of mine. And we we went into the screening. We were the only two guys in the entire screening. Right. It was uh, Hopper 7 uh, at the O2. Two, three hundred people rammed in this, this space... Uh, and as I said, two two men, myself and my friend, only two two guys in there. And there was a Russian friends behind, uh, sorry, just in front of us, but they were kind of split up. Mm. So we decided to move so they could sit together. And in reparation for this act of kindness, the girl was gave us this like mini lecture about fan fiction and how Fifty Shades of Grey came out and like all of the all of this that and the other. So it was very interesting. Oh, yeah, you got a nice little history lesson. So there, I got so a nice little history. I got some, got some context for the film because it's a film that really needs context. Desperately. And further reading. But yeah, I only found out that it is a trilogy. And the films are going to be made, from what I understand. Inevitably. Inevitably, yeah. Inevitably. If, if the box office is anything um, to go by. Do we need... I mean, a quick overview Let's of Let's do a praisey of each, quickly. <laughs> overview of the plot of, of Fifty I'll Shades. do one, you do the other. Which one do you want to do? Um, I'd rather you did Secretary, if I'm being honest with you. I think you're... You've seen it twice, haven't you? Which I think true. makes you faintly more familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, uh, Secretary came out in 2002. Directed by uh, Stephen Shaneberg and stars James Spader as Mr. Grey, mm. interestingly enough, completely coincidental, and Maggie Gyllenhaal as, a, as Lee Holloway, uh, who is uh, Spader's secretary in the film. So the plot in a nutshell, I suppose, is Lee is a very troubled young woman, uh, prone to self-harm, and she applies for this, she gets this job with... with After leaving a mental facility. Yes, yeah, she, 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 she She's discharged from a mental facility. She gets this job with Mr. Gray, who is a lawyer. Yeah, purely coincidental, by the way, unless, yeah. like, unless the L. James nicked it afterwards. I mean, I think... Is I'll... he Gray with an A? No. Oh, he's not either? <laughs> no, okay, he's, he's Mr. Gray with an E. Okay. And I think for legal purposes, we can't say that she stole the idea. Okay, yeah, no, she's and she's a brilliant author as well. It's a complete well. coincidence. Yeah, it's brilliant. Any, really, any, really any, yeah, any familiarity is... I love the fact we've become a legal team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's his secretary... She finds out that his he has uh, um, sexual tastes that are fairly singular, um, mm. and this, the plot goes from there. It explores the idea of of BDSM relationships in the sense that Lee begins to use it as a as a as, a, as an alternative to self harm. It's an outlet. It's, it's an outlet yeah. for her to 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 get out her, her anguish and whatever mental issues she has. Yeah. So it's a weird sort of therapeutic type process for her. For for both, um, I think. For both, really. yeah. 
and a, and, a, and a hugely compelling film. But before we go more into that, Fifty Shades, 50 Shades of Grey. I've yeah. rum- rambled on too long. Now, now that I've attended my Yale lecture on it uh, last night. So on the flip side, Fifty Shades of Grey obviously uh, comes out this year, 2015, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson of Nowhere Boy fame. That's yes. how I found her direct- as a director. A famous artist. Before That's right. Becoming, before going to film directing, like Steve McQueen, for example. Yes. Uh, of that kind of cut from that kind of cloth, and she's the wife of Aaron Taylor Johnson, isn't she? Yep. Who of Kickass and uh, Quicksilver, soon to be Quicksilver in Avengers: Age of Ultron. Anyway, she's she's uh, heading this film, and it's about Anastasia Steele. She's this Virginial English lit undergraduate uh, in Seattle, in Washington, in America. And she takes on this kind of uh, journalistic role for her friend who's ill at the time to interview the enigmatic CEO, Christian Grey, Mr. Grey. And during this interview, she kind of attracts him and arouses these sensibilities in him. And they begin this kind of BDSM relationship. Like he doesn't have girlfriends per se. Mm. He has submissives and he is a dominant, capital D. And uh, it really, and that is the film in a nutshell. To be honest with you, it's the exploration of her beginning this journey in in this very vanilla essence kind of life, and slowly taking these Bambi like dizzy steps towards a fully fledged dominant submissive relationship. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. So, and I, they perfectly contrast. Where do you want to begin? Well, straight off the bat, I wrote this. I've written this down in my notes about this. Secretary possesses a sentimentality that Fifty Shades doesn't. It does, yeah. Fifty Shades is a shallow film and horribly where where Secretary is compelling and and thought provoking, Fifty Shades is dull and boredom And that's the thing about Fifty Shades of Grey that I found is that everything skims over the surface and for something that the entire film revolves around BDSM and and dominant submissive relationships and sex, that's the that's it. That's all Fifty Shades of Grey really is, apart from what this kind of mushy romance that we'll get to, to speak about and I do want to speak about. But it's it's a remarkably safe film. This film takes no risks. It 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 I felt like it kind of it was very Hollywoodized, it's very pulverized in what it yeah. delivers, and it just spoon feeds it to you. It 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 it, it virtually takes absolutely no risks in, in I, I haven't read the book and perhaps I should have, but I I, I I didn't I wasn't shocked by it. It's just very safe. That's what I would say. Profoundly mm. so, and 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 all the worse for it, because I I think that it may be in a more existential looking. Why does this film even exist? If you're going to make a film, I think that Secretary and it does take risks. It's a risky kind of film. The way that it portrays things, absolutely, and more edgy. But Fifty Shades of Grey is a circle. It's, there's no edges to it at all. No, and any attempt at applying any, any sort of depth to it, and this may be the the fault of the source material, yeah. it, it, it fails on all counts. There's, there's this sort of underlying theme about why is Christian Grey like this? And all we're met with on two separate occasions in the film is the exact same line where he says, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. It's part of my identity. I mean, that's yeah. incredible. I mean... There are so many lazy moments in this film. The film is 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 a is bone idle mm. uh, is is how I describe it because it squanders all of these opportunities that it throws up, and in the end, instead of taking these risks, and I would have respected it. More, I don't know if I would have enjoyed the film more, but I would have respected it more if it went down that more edgy, risque. I'm going to shock this modern mainstream audience rather than going through this very sleek asexual really I, I i didn't it's not a, it's not an arousing film or, or a particularly erotic film by any stretch of the imagination uh, and just ends up kind of dissolving into mushy cliche where that that awful line that's being barked across all of the trailers of um why do you want to change me don't you see it's you that's changing me yes oh it's all it's all dreadful yeah. quite frankly with the constant appearances of of macbooks throughout it just yeah. felt like a very long uh-huh. advert for apple yeah you're not into BDSM, well, then you're not into BDSM. <laughs> and Christian Grey is an odd character. I feel sorry for Jamie Dornan, who is lumbered with this dreadful dialogue. Um, I feel sorry for both of them, both the central leads. I think that Dakota both... Johnson does a yeah does well with what she's given, and she's very. I, I, she, but I what she's, she's given very is funny. Is dog earnest. food? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that I think that both of them 
the film has squandered everyone. I think that the director yes. is too good for the film. I think that the actors and actresses are too good for the film. Rita Ora apparently winning a competition to appear in well, for, for I mean, all of 23 seconds. I, I, I thought it, it did have that smacking of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like she'd won a golden <laughs> ticket. You know, she'd eaten the right chocolate bar to get in. And I saw an interview with her recently in maybe the Metro... And it was about uh, her appearing on She's on The Voice, isn't she? Yes, yeah. And she was like, yeah, well, I really am enjoying my foray into acting. You know, I'm in Fifty Shades of Grey. And I thought, oh, blimey, Rita Ora's in there. She's in it, as you said, for about seven to eight seconds. I think she has one baseball-related line and then shoots off. Yes. That's not acting. It's not even. She's not even on the centre center of attention in that scene. She just kind of fills in the background noise. Yeah. And, and I think that, especially when you're looking at uh, this dominant and um, submissive relationship, which is fascinating, you know, it really mm. is... You really need to explore it via character, and that's what Secretary does so much better in that both characters, Grey and Holloway, are both sculpted and rounded human beings before the 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 razzmatazz of the, the BDSM relationship is then explored. Yes. And that's why it resonates more than Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm. There's, feels, there's, there's more motive in, in Secretary. There's, there's, as I said, there's more... I said depth already. There, there, there is more depth. Mm. There, you, you, there's understanding of the characters and why they do what they do. You don't get any of that with Fifty Shades of Grey. You've got you've got Grey saying it's just because like I am who I am, and and I can't quite under, maybe I don't understand it properly, but I don't get Anastasia's interest. Why why why? Well, she's why an English literature graduate, she... and ergo is a, a romantic at heart. Yeah, I, I just wanted more from it, Dan. And as I said, I thought that I thought that with the hype train that was choo chewing throughout the zeitgeist from since the books kind of really hit that zenith yeah was it a year or two years ago i just expected so much more like the the red room of pain is something that we need to speak about i think is that its formal name that's how it's mentioned in the film is it uh, and that's what she calls there anything that he calls it his playroom the playroom lit like something out of a gaspar no film and it 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 has all these whips and chains and things like that yeah and then really you know, he kind of spanks her a bit on the bum, but everything other than that is pretty vanilla. Especially when we live in in a in a film community that's produced something like *Nymphomaniac*, and even things like *Blue Is the Warmest Color* a couple of years ago, where it's such graphic depictions of sex. This is very Channel Five on a Friday night in the late '90s kind of thing. Like da, 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 da. The, the soundtrack's awful, and that's something I want to speak about. But oh, the soundtrack is bland. And she's supposed so to be unbelievably bland. That's something we'll definitely come back to. But I remember thinking that the staging of the sex scenes is so is so cold and clinical. Like it what it. It wasn't, you know, they called the books like mummy porn and it's yeah. kind of like you see all these women like squirming on the tube reading it and things like that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if the book must differ from the film, but it left me just cold. Not, nothing at all. Really bizarrely shot. She's a virgin and he ends up taking her virginity with, with a thrust that would have killed the head vampire. And it's just, uh, it's, I just couldn't get, honestly, I, I tried. Danny Elfman's involved. You know, Danny Elfman scored. Yes, film. I did know that. I think I may have blocked that out. Yeah, even though they've got this, like one of the best composers of his generation, they opt for this. Now that's what I call music. Kind of shuffled playlist mm. that kind of contains Beyonce and Eddie Goulding. Yes. Just, just so strange, so strange. You're right, though. I think clinical and cold is a good. No, no risks involved. Uh, completely the opposite of what I think a PTSM relationship. Or indeed, the subject matter that it's, the subject matter they're they're focusing on is is all about. But then you've got Secretary, which I, I wouldn't say that I thoroughly enjoyed Secretary or came out going that's a film that's changed my life or one of the best films I've ever no, seen. No, no, I would agree. But it had that what I think the point that you were making before that key ingredient of sentimentality that climbs. Whereas I think that the only thing extreme about Fifty Shades of Grey is how quickly they fall in love and how quickly Christian Grey seems to go back on all of these principles whereas you find that with edward gray it's a climbing relationship all of the time yeah and it is a weird courtship and i think that that twisted view of bdsm becoming romantic is just so thoroughly explored in secretary yeah and you've got wonderful character development which again is lacking in 50 shades of gray i didn't care about any of those characters um not even rita aura (laughs) didn't have time to care about rita aura (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know they all made a good stab at it. Yeah, but the thing about I would have rather spent more time with Taylor, the driver. Yeah, and found out more about his story. Yeah, than any of the other characters. On I think we're going to get an origin story of him. I can only hope so. I really do. Uh, but the, the, then with Secretary, everything's about it's unconventional. Like I think that both Maggie Gyllenhaal and uh, James Spader are both very unconventional, un- very unconventional choices for that kind of yeah. film. 
but the film does well because of that. Mm. And it's kind of anti-sexual secretary in that way. Fifty Shades of Grey is kind of is kind of shot and presented like this kind of I don't know, as you said, maybe Apple produced soft porn film, and it and and it's kind of designed to titillate in the way. Which makes it even worse that it doesn't. Whereas with Secretary, it's so unconventional. Like you see, I actually think that you see maybe one or two penetrative sex scenes in it. Everything else is kind of on on the peripheries of mm. this world, like the spanking and even him kind of choosing what food that she goes and eats and yeah. things like that, which is only superficially explored in the contract of Fifty Shades of Grey, which was basically the most kind of that's what got the most gasps in the audience because they said butt plug or something you know anal fisting anal fisting and genital clamps yes it was just kind of like a school kid at the back shouting these words out in a biology lesson to try and get a reaction out of the teacher but so safe the ending as well of something i do want to talk about secretary i feel like we're focusing too much on 50 shades but i even though i saw it in this screening packed with fangirls last night and i'm not saying that to be gendered I was the only, I was one of two men in this audience. The reaction to the ending was catastrophic. People were booing and jeering and shouting out, I can't believe it and everything. I mean, I have no idea what happens at the end of the book. Neither do I. So I can't the really fil- comment. Without spoiling, the film does lend itself to the later sequels. They're clearly going to be made. Well, there is intention oh, yes, the, to make the, them. The, the cliffhanger is an intentional... But it comes out of nowhere as well, I thought. It just fizzles out. The whole film, it lacks that spark and that connection, the fire that you'd need. On, back onto Secretary, though. Yes. I think with Secretary, it stays with you and Fifty Shades doesn't. Like, I was... That idea of it being compelling that I think you mm. brought up before. Yeah. yeah, Secretary is a fascinating film for many, many reasons. And I implore people to go and watch it. It's on Netflix. It's, yeah, it? it's on Netflix. So that It's easily available. Here's a question for you. Do these films that one of the big things that has come up recently and and caught fire is particularly with Fifty Shades of Grey, but I'll ask you for both films. Do these films promote or endorse or glamorize sexualized violence? Because I've got a very concrete answer to it, but I just want, I wanted to get your take whilst we're looking at the films because I think it's a question that has to be explored. How have they approached it? I don't know enough about the subject. Okay. I've obviously read around it. Yeah because we're being bombarded of all these sorts of articles mm. and, um, and and what's clear from reading extracts from the, from the book that uh, the, the book 50 shades of gray is it seems that this christine gray character is a manipulative psychopath you know yeah sociopathic yeah abuser yeah mentally and physically of of the anastasia Steele character they've taken the majority of that away in the film which may have led to this kind of hollow character that no one's hasn't quite been wired up from the yeah I'm not sure yeah I don't know I don't know if I'm really qualified qualified well neither am I but I'm interested to hear what your I don't think it does and and I know that that perhaps my my criticism is invalid because I am a you know white male but I I found that that doesn't make your criticism invalid (laughs) but I think that with say with secretary which is where I'll look at first it's the whole lifestyle of it and it's very, 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 very consensual. And there is no, ironically, there are no grey areas in Secretary. Almost, in fact, actually, it's Maggie Gyllenhaal's character. I think is really the fire in it. She's the the battery of the relationship. She keeps going back because uh, Edward Grey, unlike Christian Grey, does not revel in his singular tastes. He's disgusted by them, at least initially, yes. before they build yeah. this relationship. Whereas I found that. Although I don't think it's sexualized violence, uh, it didn't glamorize sexualized violence in Fifty Shades of Grey. Because as I said, for me, it, if you watch the film, it's so remarkably vanilla and safe that most of the sex scenes are just m- missionary shot, kind of blue lit sex scenes. Yes. That's all they yeah. are, yeah. with the occasional bit of spanking. And there's only one bit towards the end of the film where something more violent, in inverted commas, happens, and that is treated with a kind of uh, a gasp and an abhorrent kind of well, what are you doing kind of thing. So I can't see that it, it glamorizes it because there's no, an yes, active re- a rebellion point. of Her, it. Yes, the response to that scene is handled very well. And I think that the film itself isn't as, as it doesn't sound, it's not as presented to be as misogynistic as apparently the book is. Although Christian Grey as a character worried me and how he is a pinup because. He, as a character, is a prequel to American Psycho. He's incredibly controlling. His 
his purchases are that of someone who seems like he's about to murder her and well, bury she even someone. says that, doesn't she? She does, she you're the perfect yeah. uh, serial killer or whatever. Yeah, you've got your first And he stalks her packet. across America. Like, he stalks yes. her at work. He, um, She goes to visit her mother and he throws a fit and he's there. And that side of him, that overshadowing mm. and controlling viral side of him isn't explored to it. To, to what it should have been. No, it's very much brushed aside. You know, when he he finds her in the bar that she's at, doesn't know which bar she's in, mm. presumably, presumably has somehow tracked her down. Yeah, um, and he's watching her, isn't he? Because he's texting her, like, oh, another margarita or whatever. Yeah. And then they just laugh it off, like, oh, what a lovely man putting this effort in. No, he's yeah. installing himself in the same way that any so, any good sociopath would. And that worried me. It wasn't the glamorised sexualised violence, because I don't think it does do that. And I, I would go on record saying, I do not think this film does. But it did worry me that the ramifications of his character and how calculated he is and and and, and how, it, you know, unstable a person he is, is only kind of flirted with with this uh, this kind of reported child abuse that he went through or the you don't know me or I'm just who I am. I think that's squandered. That's its cardinal sin. Mm. So you're saying we could have had a much more, a much deeper film, a much more interesting Absolutely. and intriguing set of characters. Absolutely. And what we're left with is this... I think that if they'd have just... This Im- Apple advert. Yeah, exactly, I, absolutely. Uh, an, an Apple and Whip advert. <laughs> I, think that, I think that if they'd have truly embraced the nature of it and they'd... Uh, apparently E.L. James had unprecedented power in, the, in this film and mm. I think that was the worst thing they could have done. I think they should have bought the rights and made a film version in the way that... HBO is doing their own version of Game of Thrones that's kind of different now to the books or the films that have Harry Potter, for example. They make their own versions and they should have done this with Fifty Shades of Grey. And, you know, I'm not qualified to to speak about plots and arcs, but it would have been been a much more fascinating film to have presented Christian Grey as this sociopathic character and not as this hunky pin-up, the Mr. Grey will see you now kind of thing. Mm. I'd have liked to have seen a little bit more of Anastasia and actually given her this character, this kind of cliche rebellion style thing that that has going on that doesn't work. And I'd have given a director that was going to actually shock. I think that this film should have shocked people. And it, I think only the most kind of prudish person in the world would actually have said, oh, Fifty Shades of Grey is a truly transgressive film. Yeah, when in reality, it's it's just boring. It's just boring. It's just a very boring, dull film. It's not. Do you know the worst thing about it? Before we get to Bob ratings, I wish we'd spent more time on Secretary, but I suppose it's the nature of the beast. But the most, the most, the worst thing about Fifty Shades of Grey is that it's not even a horrendously bad film. No, it, technically a very adequately made. Yeah, like I wish it had been a proper room. Like uh, the the you were saying about there was lots of people texting and taking photos, and there was yeah, lots yeah. of people taking selfies where I was in there. You know when the BBFC classification comes up, <laughs> loads of people were just taking selfies. Which never I, I've even... heard of showings where people were filming. The sex scenes during the film. Really? Um, you know, so obviously highly. Oh illegal. yeah, I'll send them over to you if you need them. <laughs> Would you? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I that the the whole vibe that was in there was one of a cult film, and I think if they'd have perhaps even gone down even that route of making mm. it like get Tommy Wiseau to direct it, would have been so much more interesting. <laughs> just made it this really kind of cringeworthy midnight showing that where it got this cult following. Instead, it's for, a forgettable, boring shallow film yeah but it'll make a shed load of money it will and, and i'll make... see you next year for the next one dan so let's do bobs and then we'll shoot on okay let's go let's do secretary first just give secretary its due okay i'm gonna give secretary three yeah. I, w- I kind of flirted with four mm-hmm. and i would say that it's a film that's well worth your time and worth watching i think four is too much for it it gives it undue credit yeah i would also give it three for the reasons you've stated yeah it, it is definitely worth everyone's time it is a as I said, a uh, fascinating, compelling, the word. Uh, compelling film to watch. And, uh, and well made. I think it kind of drifts towards the end, uh, as these films yes. do, because they're kind of, unfortunately, they're both bundled into this romance category. And, and worth watching for James Spader. Uh, well, worth watching for both of them, but in particular James Spader in, in advance of his appearance as Ultron. Yeah. In, in, there are no <laughs> strings on me. Well, not in that is. film, there ain't. <laughs> Unless he's tied the... Anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in, in light of his sort of recent performances as as um, the character of Red in um, the Blacklist, yeah. and now see Ultron upcoming, it's interesting to see that sort of a younger uh, yeah. James Spader, and also a, a wonderful performance from Maggie Gyllenhaal, Both, who yeah. gets a lot of flack for not being a great actress. And I actually um, must admit, most of the time I'm a, a most outspoken critic, but I was really yeah. thoroughly compelled by it, by what she so, built in Secretary. Three Bob yeah. for Secretary, yeah. 
I'm going to give Fifty Shades a grade two, and I'll tell you why, because it doesn't even deserve a one. Because for me, one is where it's, you have such a, I like, I like one star films because you get a reaction from the, like, quite a violent reaction. Like if you look back at my 300 Rise of an Empire, like I was, you know, just kind of so angry at this film and taking the time. With Fifty Shades of Grey, it was boring and lifeless and sleek and well made, but totally the wrong direction for the film. And I think two really, two stars is really the most kind of offensive thing I can give it because <laughs> one would give it this kind of cultish dross status that it doesn't deserve. So for those reasons, two bob. Yeah, two bob from me as well. It, it is a it is a well made film. Mm. <laughs> I hate to say, you know, yeah, for, you know the cinematography and and so on. It, the, you can't fault it from that sense. It's certainly uh, interesting to look at. And I think Dakota Johnson and and Jamie Dornan do the very best they can with the dross they've been given. Yeah, and um, they come out of it unscathed. Like you'll see much more of them. Yes, it's not kind yeah. of like you I mean, show. I think girls. we've seen enough of Dakota Johnson. <laughs> yeah, but... and not nearly enough of Jamie Dornan. No, <laughs> yeah, I think it's not one of those things where it will kill a career. Like you'll see them around. Certainly they, not. Certainly not. They're in their ascendancy. Um, but other, than, you know, I can't give it more than that. Don't know what you're saying, but it looks bloody good. Thank you, Chris. No worries. This month's... Sponsored by UKIP. (laughs) (laughs) This month's feature uh, is the film Trash. Now, I haven't seen this, Dan, so Mm. I'm... I'm very much your Anna Steele in this relationship. You're going to introduce me. Let's not make any of those comparisons. I'm in Dan's pleasure room at the moment. You're going to introduce me to Trash. I am horrified. (laughs) So, Trash. Your eyes tell me a different story. (laughs) Trash. Directed by Stephen Doldry, written by Richard Curtis. It's uh, it's a film about Richard Curtis of Love Actually. Black yes, Adder. oh, okay. very same. Yeah, no, a different Richard Curtis. Yeah, yeah his brother, <laughs> his same named brother. <laughs> you didn't think that one through, did you? <laughs> Curtises were a very unimaginative family. Yeah, I remember speaking um, to his mother, Richard Curtis, about the situation. <laughs> Sorry. Oh dear. After that quite serious BDSM talk, we've gone back to being small kids. Anyway, we kept a straight face all through that, and it's it's Richard Curtis that has well, done if, us. Yeah, if Jamie Dornan can. Indeed, indeed. So, Trash, it's a film about, it's based on a book, and it's a story of um, three Brazilian street teenagers who right. come across a wallet in a dump, essentially, mm. or a, a, a refuge site. They're there, they're part of a huge group of workers who go there to work, you know, try and find anything useful in amongst the junk and debris. Is it set in modern day? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So perhaps, something perhaps they can sell. This one kid discovers a wallet and it's got some very intriguing information in it. Next day the police turn up wanting to find this wallet and he obviously doesn't trust the police. Yeah. Um, and what follows is um, essentially a sort of adventure mystery thriller with these three children following clues left in the wallet from the, the owner of, of said wallet um, to find a stash of money that will bring down a corrupt politician. Right. Uh, and hopefully sort of set some uh, wrongs right again. Um, that's the face of it. Obviously, with Stephen, Stephen Doldry at the helm and, and, and Curtis on scripting duties, what we've actually got is a, very, is a tale full of heart and full of morality about doing the right thing when, when the odds are against you and, yeah. and when perhaps the easier thing to do, you, know, you, turn a, you turn away from the easier thing to do to do the right thing. Um, even if, however, you know, even if that does mean you're going to be beaten up by police and left for dead on the side of a road in, in Rio de Janeiro, so yeah, a, f- a fascinating, um, magical film. As I said in my review for the website, and it, I watched it, and, it, and it, whilst I was enjoying the sort of the the general, you know, the the the, the clue hunting and the solving of riddles, and you know, you know watching these three very accomplished, um, virtually unknown Brazilian actors, uh, you know in their teens, uh, you know, sort of acting circles around their more accomplished yeah. adult uh, co-stars. Watching them going along this journey, uh, you know, you're carried along with it, you, you feel very much involved, you, you, you sort of, you, you can practically smell the, this awful dump where they all work, you, you, get, you get, really get, really get a sense of the sort of awful situation, awful living conditions they, they have to put up with. And, and, and that's thrilling, but then you've also got this awful, you get a real sense of the injustice of of Rio de Janeiro and Brazil in general, the sort of the, the, the level of corruption, and and the, the the vast differences in the way that people live there. You've got these kids scrambling around a rubbish tip trying to make a living, and you've got a you've got these politicians taking backhanders from businesses to help run their election campaigns, and they're living in these wonderful villas on the beachfront of Rio de Janeiro. It's a, it's a, it it 
it's one of those very clever, you know, I wouldn't say anything less with Richard Curtis involved, that he takes a very serious issue and has hidden it very cleverly in a film that everyone, I think most people just go along and enjoy. Um, but if you really pay attention to it, it, you can unpack it and, and you can see it for what it really is, which is this. Is, sort it, of, is it Portuguese language then? Yes, it's all, most, it's, most of it's all in, in Portuguese, yeah, from the three, the three leads. It does also star Rooney Mara. And Martin Sheen as um, sort of a, Martin Sheen is a priest, and Rooney Mara is an aid worker working out there teaching these kids English, and and they they act as the the trio's confidants, yeah, and and are are integral in the solving of the mystery and and indeed the eventual uh, exposure of of this politician's um, mis uh, evil dealings and and, and evil dodgy dealings and, and, and backhanders. It's, it sounds interesting, is because I think Richard Curtis is one of those writers that. He's become such a national treasure now mm. and an institution due to like Comic Relief, Blackadder, Vicar of Dibley, and then all of the films like Love Actually, Notting Hill. I'd, I'd say there is a level of safety to him, a cuddliness to his kind of quintessential Britishness. Yes, yes. This seems so totally different to that, just listening to you talk about it. Yeah, no, no, I see what you mean. But, but I think what people forget is that Curtis is, has a very sharp mind and, yeah. he's a very, and he has his finger on the pulse when it comes to social injustice and, and inequality that, that, that ravages this planet. Mm. And they very cleverly are dealing with that in, in, through this, this film. It just seems like a more expansive kind of corridor for him to walk down in, this, in the Curtis canon. Because mm. he, did, he did a Doctor Who episode a couple of years ago. Yes, yeah. And did something quite different with that as well. He did the Van Gogh episode, if memory serves. Yes. It's, it's Bill Nye was in it, wasn't he? Bill Nye cameoed, yeah. yeah. Um, Tony Curran played Van Gogh. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, that sort of was a big departure from the actual normal narrative of a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, more it, from the same, do you hope that he kind of carries on with this? It's very interesting to see if this is an ongoing thing. Um, I do know that I think a lot of the a lot of the dialogue that the, the trio speak was improvised, I believe. I think they kind of just let them get on with it. And say, well, here, What's this that Curtis has written? Well, yeah, we know. They, they, I don't think their English was good. Who's Hugh Grant? <laughs> there are stories of Stephen Draldry kind of... Um, sort of standing on set bewildered as his sort of Brazilian crew are laughing at what these kids are saying. He really? hasn't got a clue what they're saying. He hasn't asked wonderful. for a translation. Yeah. Because they're all saying, apparently they were, you know, they're hilarious. And they are, they, they are, you know, go and see it for these Is three. it like a coming of age kind of story then? It sounds a bit like Stand By Me kind of esque or... There is an element of that, yeah. I wouldn't say, I mean... That's know, not the point they, of they, it. No, not at all, really. What, what you... I think they, they find this wallet and, and the kid realises actually, yeah, we could do something about this. So it's not necessarily that kind of, like, that's the MacGuffin in, like, the summer where they become men-esque kind no, of journey no, then. No. no, And things are left slightly uh, ambiguous at the end. You know, things are resolved, but more things are left. You know, that, that, the, the, the things that you think, the questions that are answered just lead to more, you know, you're left thinking what is actually going to be the outcome here. They yeah. obviously haven't solved the issue. They've solved one small part of it so it's like but, a cog you know, but the wheel yeah you know they've turning. removed one head of the hydra for three more will inevitably sprout out again if captain um, america 2 tells us anything <laughs> dan about the nature of corruption the Indeed. the seeds of corruption but yeah a, a, a truly wonderful wonderful film can you give it a bob rating for us just to contextualize it i'm gonna give it four Definitely worth a watch. I don't know how long it's going to be in cinemas. It's been out I think at the time released... of recording. It's still on. I okay, know that yeah. in select cinemas, but I, I know that scheduling is very strange at the moment because they're kind of betwixt and between with the Oscars. Mm. Although Birdman and Whiplash have have subsequently left. I don't. I don't know. And that Fifty Shades of Grey is everywhere, so I don't know yes. if maybe set the saturation of that. But you would you would compel people to go and see this film. Yeah. So just as a little extra bit. Dan, I saw Inherent Vice last week before yes. our triumph at the One Room with a Views official. I was going to say, I'm very impressed we've gone the entire podcast almost. Well, have we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I saw Inherent Vice before I met up with you for our triumph, just for the record. And my viewing was very much in keeping with what are a lot of journalistic pieces of being about the sheer amount of walkouts the film has garnered. Yeah, this puzzles me. And I've always been puzzled by the idea of people walking out of films. Mm. It happened, I remember when uh, Cosmopolis came out, yeah. a similar thing happened. People, that... were, people were sort of, I think, sold the idea of this wonderful Robert Pattinson vehicle mm. and, and realised what... It was a Cronenberg film. Saw, yeah, so it was Cronenberg. Uh, didn't know what a Cronenberg film meant. Um, weren't familiar with the source material and, yeah. and began to just leave because he wasn't a sparkly vampire in this one. I saw Cosmopolis in Paris 
along the Champs. What a wonderful start to a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just. Excuse me, I get my accordion out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and everything's going to be sepia toned <laughs> as we go back. Oh dear. Yeah, I've just lost twenty years. I've just gone back Benjamin Button style. Oh dear, the nostalgia of memory, Dan. <laughs> So yeah, I saw Cosmopolis in, in Paris on the Champs Elysees, and it was a, it was uh, we saw it that it was like English language but with French subtitles, which was kind of a quite peculiar experience to see the film in. However, most of the audience turned out to be British. Right. People steadily left and left and left, as you said, in these walkouts uh, until towards the end. The film kind of has almost a fake ending, like it finishes where you think it's going to end, and then carries on for another like ten fifteen minutes. Yes. And. Uh, in like the fake kind of ending, and then it started back up again, and this woman at the back threw her hands up in the air and went, I just can't take this crap anymore! <laughs> and honestly, then she marched out, and I've never seen someone leave in such explosive fashion. People, That's impressive. It was so funny. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Inherent Vice. Yes. We, le- we lost um, a third of the audience. Explain a bit why. Give us some context, because I, I know... A, a... A bit about Inherent so Vice, Paul T- and I, I know a bit about Pynchon's books, I can see it's, why. It's a Paul T. Anderson film, and I, I, you know, people do kind of herald him as this cinematic genius, and he, I mean, he is, to be fair, he's produced some such fantastic films. This film is a, a kind of, I suppose, a fractured comedy P.I. caper, uh, via kind of your Big Lebowski dope kind of... That kind, of, you know what I'm talking about. It's very hard to yes. To no, well, I suppose that what inherent vice has become kind of um, infamous for being very hard to yeah. And it's, put into it's, a genre it's cloudy. To describe. It's yeah. a cloudy film. You try and touch it, and you try and hold on to something, and you yeah. can't. Uh, apart from the cloud, by the way, is is weed. Yeah, so. I was going to say the only <laughs> thing you can hold on to is Joaquin Phoenix's mutton chops that he's got that stand so proudly <laughs> on his face. I actually found it a, a thoroughly entertaining, and I enjoyed it because of this. Smoke and mirrors, very yes. difficult to hold on to way because it's such a caper. And the whole point of it is that that Joaquin Phoenix's character is so dark. His name is is so off his head for the entire film that he's having these paranoid delusions and he's not entirely sure of what's real. And, and I think for that reason, it's nice that the audience follow that journey. I loved it. I would implore you to watch it. I'd implore the listener to watch it. It's, it's a real lot of fun. But as I said. I remember one of our colleagues, Tom Bond, sent me this article about Quentin Tarantino saying that you you should never hate the film because even if you dislike a film and what it's trying to do, it should still provoke that reaction to you. And I think that's why I said Fifty Shades of Grey is so poor is that it it gives you nothing but boredom. You can't even hate the film. Compliance is the film that I've seen the most walkouts of. We got about 80% walkout. There was a full theatre in in Haymarket in London's West yeah. End and there was about six people left at the end people just walking out I'd look up the film it's, it's a very uncomfortable film to sit through and watch famously irreversible to go back to Gaspar No people just walked out of that film people tend to walk out a lot of film festivals but yeah I, yes. I just wanted to capture your ethos on it you, you, I, I've never walked out of a film I have never walked out of a film then again, I don't think I've ever gone to a film that I would think that I might walk out of. I the suppose. closest I've ever come to walking out of a film was Seven Pounds, that Will Smith film. From I, about... see, I didn't see that in the cinema. I watched it at home ago. and I very nearly turned it off, but there was other people watching. Dreadful, saccharine kind of just garbage. But I, I would always want to sit to the bitter end. And I think particularly, I saw Inherent Vice in London, in Chelsea. And if you're paying those prices, if you haven't got one of those unlimited cards or whatever, you're well, paying I was going to say, if you pay good money to see a film, you, you want to, even if it is crap, yeah. endure yeah. and get your money as well. And, and I suppose I've always been of the opinion that, because I do love film, and I really do hope these podcasts convey just how, how much Dan and I are in love with the cinema. But I think if you want to have an informed opinion on something, you kind of have to see it through to the bitter end, can't you? Yes. Really, I, I think, particularly with a film, it's not like a meal even though you kind of <laughs> devour it with your eyes. You want to have every angle. And there have been films that I, I've seen before where the Big Hero 6 is one recently that I found the first act fairly boring and bland. Second two-thirds of it, loved, really adored the film. Mm. If I'd have walked out in those first 10, 15 minutes, I wouldn't have ever seen those last bits. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to discuss that with you after seeing Inherent Vice and seeing the the outpouring of people fleeing the yeah, cinema. It's a, strange, it. it's a strange phenomenon, but if people feel that strongly about something that's their prerogative let I suppose. be yeah I, I just wouldn't yeah, one yeah. woman left Inherent Vice one and a half or two minutes before the end and that for me is just 
the strangest middle finger and walking out to, to have hey, enjoyed maybe, that much for a two and a half maybe hour a parking film. meter was coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Missed, I've, left, I've left the oven on. <laughs> she misjudged the length of the film. <laughs> so yeah, so that's our, our I suppose our message from this. She wanted to beat the rush. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I need the toilet. You know, you got those. Well, you know, yeah, you Cues for toilets after screen, especially if it was like a two and a half hour slog. <laughs> no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I just wanted to kind of the little bonus feature to get your opinion on that. To stay in the cinema, yeah. kids. Yes, yeah, see it through to the bitter end. To the bitter end. <laughs> Dispatches. So this is like a kind of new segment that we're going to do, Dan. Where maybe never again. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we ever will, but I suppose we'll look at dispatches, or as I was going to call it, the controversies. Okay, we'll stick with dispatches then. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the flicker of your eye told me everything I needed to know. But no, uh, this is interesting. There's a very good reason we're doing this. Yeah. Because this is the interview. This is the interview, the and film... I'm sure you'll have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not just you, but everyone. Well, I, I don't know if we are, <laughs> if it extends beyond us listening, but the interview being the film that if you, everyone... If you haven't heard about it, you, you've, you're clearly in uh, well, North I've, Korea right yeah, now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Either that, or you're kind of waking up from a coma and welcome back to the land of the living, but... It Sorry was... they gave you this. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that, you wake up. Can I stick a film on? Yeah, you can. <laughs> Thank you, Dr... Rogan. Uh, yeah, so the interview, I'll tell you about what kind of loosely the, the story of it anyway. Uh, it was supposed to come out in December of last year, and growing tensions made it that it didn't because Sony got hacked, didn't it, quite viciously. And this is where all of the emails and stories and everything yes. that the vulturous news sites kind of leapt all over, which, to be honest with you, I think did end up leaving us with Spider-Man joining the, the Marvel's universe, which is maybe something we can speak about at a later date. But it all seemed to come back to this seed of the interview, which bizarrely is a Seth Rogen film. Like, <laughs> what a film to potentially end That's, the world with. Has brought down Sony. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still am struggling to believe it. But it's, uh, it did. And Sony were like, they pulled it because they, 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 North Korea promised swift and vicious uh, retribution or yes, something along and, those and lines. And there were there were threats from the people who hacked Sony. That that there were threats on the the lives of Sony employees. There were uh, threats on the cinemas, cinemas wasn't which there. would show the film. You know how the, the, clearly the the authorities involved believed them these to be liable threats and, and very serious things to be considered. And in some ways, I can respect that. Absolutely, you know, the Absolutely. last thing you need. It's not great PR if you. Didn't, you know, if everyone defy, who sees it dies, the terrorists and then the cinema gets blown up. The interview becomes the modern ring. You watch it and die seven days later. But then there was all of these calls, and so the interview is at the heart of it. But really, the, the, everything that was discussed about it was the it, you know the freedom of speech. Do we have the freedom of speech? Can we say what we want, or are we at the whim of those who promise to murder and threaten and kill us? And I think that it's especially important with the rise rise of ISIS and all of these things yeah. that are going on. And, and at the heart of it, Dan, we is are, a Seth Rogen <laughs> film. We cannot... We're at pains to, yeah, to emphasise... that this is a Seth Rogen film. And peculiar. Anyway, so the as, you, as you'll know, the narrative leads itself to that Sony pulls it and then they said, no, we're going to release it Christmas Day. They did it via VOD, didn't they? It yes, was an online uh, thing yes, in America, online. which was mental because the piracy rates went through the roof. They should have done it as a worldwide release. They didn't. They released it in the UK this, at the time of recording this month, February. And guess what? I've seen it. And it is such a storm in a teacup that I can't even begin to tell you. The story, very quickly, James Franco plays Dave St- um, Skylark, okay. who's this kind of uh, a grotesque. He, he's, he's one of these <laughs> typical American uh, vulturous uh, chat show hosts that is really bottom basement celebrity gossip the kind of websites or tv shows that well kim kardashian has bent over and you can see the top of her thong and that becomes running news for the next couple of hours and he he plays this guy um skylark who who presents this program called skylark tonight produced by quote unquote serious journalist uh, seth rogan's character aaron rapaport now he's one of these guys who did really well at university and was who was supposed to be a serious journalist. Ended up joining this show and has kind of sold his soul. <laughs> and anyway, the 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 film carries on and carries on. And the the crux of the matter is that Kim Jong Un, the divine leader of yes. North Korea, is a huge Skylark fan. 
and he they they decide that they're going to get this interview to try and win back the respect of everyone because he they interviewed like Eminem and things like that. And ultimately, it leads to the CIA getting involved and saying, "Okay, look, we know that you've got an interview with Kim Jong Un. He's got nuclear capabilities. He hates America. You need to take him out whilst you're there." So it's actually a really fun and dare we use the word de jour of edgy film that is completely squandered and thrown away and humiliated by your Rogan Goldberg esque penis jokes and fart jokes that permeate the film for an hour and a half. Oh, good. So what is at the centre of this film isn't this biting satire. There are fingernails of that scraping at North Korea and maybe kind of flicking the nose of Kim Jong-un in, in a spiteful way. But what this film really is, is a promotion and showcase of Seth Rogen and James Franco going, look, us two are really famous, and by the way, we're best mates. But that's all this film is. It's just a showcase of, of, of Franco and Rogen's friendship is a bromance story as as they tend to be these films they're all cut from the same jacket Uh, they're all man children bromance films Uh, the and this film is just it's just squandered and you look at it and just think i don't know why this got the attention if it hadn't been for the threat no one would have bothered with this film it's one of the weakest from rogan and goldberg who produce things like uh I love Superbad, for example. I think that's really, really yes, funny. Yeah. They've kind of got steadily worse. Although I thought This Is The End was funny. Um, I enjoyed This Is The End. I thought it was it's a lot more fun than this. I can't stand James Franco. Well, I have a lot of trouble watching Franco because I think he's such a smug actor. And I can never truly believe he's the characters he's portraying. I always think he's just a shade of James Franco. He's Fifty yeah. Shades of Franco. And, uh, and, and uh, to be honest with you, Skylark is, is very much along the same lines. There are a couple of chuckles to had in the film. And Randall Park, who plays Kim Jong-un, mm. he really, really is funny. And I must admit, he really throws a bag over the head of this film and, and carries it off in a van. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he, he steals most of the scenes right under the feet of, uh, of Franco and, and, Rog- and Rogan. But the rest of it is you know, it, it, it's everything you expect. And I think that's what disappointed me with it, is that there really isn't, apart from this assassination element that they kind of have minor fun with, it's just the bromance that you always have, the penis and vagina jokes that you always have, uh, some kind of weird, crude uh, sex scenes that are really crowbarred in, some, oh, we've taken drugs in a club, and you, you have like the flashy editing. And that is the film, in a nutshell. If you're looking to go in and actually be surprised or I mean, the wor- I think the worst thing that people have done is is put it on a pedestal with things like The Great Dictator, which is one of the 20th century's greatest pieces of satire where Chaplin really slaps Adolf Hitler around the face in the most ve- like kind of veiled way. <laughs> the interview is not this film. The interview is a couple of teenagers sat in the back row, poor kind of clasped underneath their armpit making fart jokes during a politics lesson. And the interview is nothing more than that. If you're looking for something that is going to particularly savage North Korea, go for Team America every day of the week, which I think brought this puerile nature to satire, but still made it quite, well, very biting, yes. very funny and very clever. The thing about the interview is that it's not clever on any level. There are a couple of suggestions of, oh, well, you know, tell us about the concentration camps or tell us about the starving thing. But it's so skin, it's skin deep. Whereas I think with something like Team America, it it pulls absolutely no punches. It goes straight to the heart and and goes through the administration. The interview isn't that film. Will fans of Rogan enjoy this? Absolutely. You know, people who enjoy Superbad, who enjoy This Is The End. Yeah, of course they will, because it's just another another serving of what you've seen. But it wasn't what you hoped. It wasn't what I hoped, because I really did, and I mean, more for me, more for me for thinking that it might actually be this kind of really spicy... Because I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that people were calling Rogan, like, one of the most... You know, one of the one of the smartest yeah. comedians in Hollywood. Well, that's not true. You know, I mean, uh, he is in smart. terms of being a biting satirist. Well, he's a very smart man in that he gives the, the whole the, the idea that I liked about the interview is that it kind of I suppose if you and I don't know if I'm installing this viewing on it, but I like the way that it it looked at cheap celebrity gossip culture being um, as global, like being more global, sorry, than diplomatic senses. That these kind of 
crazed idiots who are doing these chat show can get an interview with Kim Jong-un that even the UN couldn't set up. And I thought that was quite funny how they did that. And they do make, you know, Kim Jong-un is a complete caricature, I suppose, in real life and in in the (laughs) film. But he really is like a kind of, he loves Katy Perry and things like this in the film. It's very, as I said, it's so banal that I can't even call it satire. It's just piss taking is what I'd call it. But it just isn't the film that you want it to be. And I think that it's being held up as a champion of free speech and it doesn't necessarily deserve it. It's 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 not it's not satire. I can't call it I can't bring myself to call it satire. If you want to watch it, it is on US Netflix and it is available in cinemas. Uh if you this is the end I found more meta I, I didn't mind the bromance in that because they clearly are very friendly in real life. Yes, kind of yeah. there's jokes about that, whereas in this it's it's just a, you know, it's a love fest. I'll give it two, Bob. Housekeeping. We don't really have a jingle for that one, Dan, do we? Never have, never will. Never have, never will. That's a guarantee. Yeah. That's a Christian Grey guarantee. <laughs> I've signed the contract <laughs> with, with David Brake. Uh, so talking of Dave, he's in uh, Berlin at the moment, isn't he? Yes. He's at Berlin Film Festival for One Room with a View, doing all of the commentary and following the films. If you're interested in the films at Berlin, check out One Room with a View because Dave is there. Uh, Dave and Danny are both there. Studiously attending films, attending screenings, and writing those reviews. They've seen the big ones. They've seen Fifty Shades of Grey. They've seen uh, Mr. Holmes. Uh, they've seen Knight of Cups, the new Malik film. Yeah. So they're all on one room with the so view.com. Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella as well. That's Yeah, and I think, I think they're actually seeing that at time of recording. So one room with a view.com for that. If you'd like to contact us, we're uh, on Twitter at one room with a view. That's the, the site's Twitter. Our ones are at uh, Mr. Alton, M I S T E R. I'm at the Preston Knight. If you'd like to email us, we're one room with a view show at gmail.com. If there's any kind of challenges. Dan's still got to complete his Pokemon. If you want retribution for him in this Kim Jong-un North Korea-esque way, <laughs> then send yes, one in. Yes, we a good challenge for young Christopher here to, to complete after making me watch three Pokemon movies. Yeah, you've loved every minute, don't you, Lai? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's another show. Are you looking forward to next month? We've got, a, I think next month's a bit of a lull in the cinema calendar. Well, yes, we've, so we've, with, the, with the excitement of Fifty Shades out of the way and the, 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 the awards season gone and you know done and dusted, wrapped up for another year, uh, we begin to go into sort of uncharted waters of, yeah. of what the what studios fill the rest of the year out of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sludge um, that's just until we hit the, in. until we hit the fifteen tentpole films in the summer. The, you know, well, I say summer, April. We all kick off. I think. I think it begins with um, the Avengers, April twenty third, twenty fourth. So March, we, we're going to have a look at our diaries and, and look at the schedule and see what's coming up. So yeah. watch this space for actually might <laughs> just do a show on Star Wars or something like that, maybe. But yeah, it's been fun. I think. As I said, uh, there are a couple of films I think that you should go and and watch. More films that perhaps you should skip. (laughs) But until next month, then. Yes, cheerio. You're listening to The One Room with a View show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton.